Do you know what this guy is talking about? I had read about the hardest amateur cycling race on the planet, this seven-day race through the French Alps called the Haute Route. If you were to take the hardest seven days in the Tour de France, put them all together, back to back to back to back, that would be what this Haute Route course was like. Yes, that's exactly what you are thinking about. Hello, I'm Calamaro. And this is a special episode of The Brain Wave. Hello everybody and welcome to Broomwagoon. Today you are going to listen only to people talking about road bike. And that's not me, for sure that's not me, but the partners in crime this time here on this podcast are only two. That's myself and that's Simon. So if it's not me, it's Simon interviewing a person talking about the old truth. The piece that you listen for sure comes from Icarus, the amazing documentary of Brian Fogel. Unfortunately, it's not Brian Fogel on my microphone or on Simon's microphone. That's really bad. Uh, just let me know if you want actually me to interview him, even if it's a bit complicated, but I will uh, wait. Let's put it on the side. So it's not Brian Fogel, but it's another person who actually has a lot of things to do with the old truth. Yes, I'm talking about Carlo Fino. And I'm talking about Simon, that interviewed him. These two guys have a lot of things in common. The both of them love number. The both of them started riding the bicycle not so early in that life. And the both of them are gonna participate to the old route next year, the old route Pyrenees. While Carlo Fino last year won the old route Alps. You're gonna know more about that in this episode that as I was saying was taken over by Simon on the microphone. Just give us the feedback that we deserve out there to me and to Simon. The email is only the same, it's always the same. Hello at calamaro.cc, that's my email, our email. At calamaro.cc in the Instagram, you're gonna find my picture. And then on Read Calamar on Twitter, you're gonna find my words. Facebook and all this Facebook bullshit are at CalamaroCC as well. And this episode is as usual on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever. Whatever. Listen to this episode, share it all around. Carlo, you too, you have to share it because all the people out there need really to listen to your voice talking about your truth, your training, your bicycles and whatever. So I drop the mic here and I will let Simon take over. Uh, there's gonna be a small, as usual, outro from myself at the end. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone. So for this episode, we have something new. Uh, Calamaro won't be presenting this episode, but it switches to me. Uh, for various reasons, uh, mainly because we have a different kind of guest compared to what Calamari is used to. 
and the peculiarity it is that it has a very simple name. Hello, Carlo. Uh, hi. Hello, everybody. We are here with Carlo Fina, and yeah, it is a name that Calamaro surely can pronounce very well, so we chose not to make him do it. How is it going, Carlo? It's all good. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's all good from the West UK, um, but yeah. So you're you're from the UK, but you're Italian, right? I moved here um, five, six years ago. Um, I got married to a, uh, to a UK lady. So that's basically the main reason why I moved over here. So yeah, I live in the UK, but I, I tend to go back to Italy quite often. And how is cycling in the UK compared to, to Italy? Uh, it's wet, it's windy. But yeah, no, it, it's okay. I actually quite enjoy it. Um, obviously, you have got the winter becomes more of a deal over here because um, where I'm from in Italy, I'm from um, the Alessandria region, and we've got Liguria very close to to us. So even in December, January, you can always kind of like train if you want. You just get the car, go to Genova, and ride down there. Whereas here is uh, now. November to February, those three months, you can just forget about the bike. I mean, these people go outside anyway, but I don't really, <laughs> I don't really get them that much. It's it's too it's too hard. Yeah, you really have to be a real man. You have to be a real man to do it. I'm not there yet. Brits, Brits are a different category. Yeah. So uh, a step backwards. Uh, so you are Italian. Uh, how old are you? How long have you been cycling? Uh, are you part of a team? Do you ride solo? Uh, what can you describe yourself as as a cyclist? Okay, so um, I'm gonna be 35 in a few months. Um, I started cycling uh, quite late. I used to play football for a long time, like uh, when I, when I was a teenager and a kid. So I started in 2013, um, <clears throat> and then I very very quickly got the the disease, uh, the addiction of cycling. So then from there on, I, in 2014, I remember I bought my first power meter. I know you will be very, very keen on the topic. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's a very big point in favor for you. <laughs> well done, well done. I totally agree with you. I mean, Calamaro should really get a power meter. You have to convince him to get one. <laughs> you uh, heard? And um, so from there on, I mean, also I, I'm a math teacher as a profession. So numbers are kind of like, a bit obsessed with them so i kind of enjoy then looking at you know the trends of where i am uh how much have i progressed or am i not going the right direction so i quite like it because um yeah it's it's you know i think it's a it's a good tool that you can have to measure yourself as a to me, you know to measure your improvements so i've always been only a roadie so i'm not a mountain biker i never really tried um other disciplines and uh, in terms of the team, I've been, I basically rode for a few years with a team from Genova called the Superba Cycling Team, because I, I used to know quite well a guy from there. So because we are friends, I just joined them. But then from this year, I, I joined another team, which is Team MMP Filtri. Okay. So for those that are Italians, probably they know this team and it already signals something so even if you've been uh, on the bike only since 2013 you're already in one of the strongest amateur teams in in italy 
So that already tells a little bit on, on how committed you are. Um, today's topic will be about the oat root. Uh, ever heard of it? Yes, I, I did it last year. Um, I did the oat root Alps last year. And how did it go? I won it. So it went quite well. You won the oat root? Yeah. After cycling for five years? Yeah. <laughs> Congrats, man. That's, that's really, really impressive. So um, I'm actually very honored to, to have you with, with us on, on the podcast. Um, it, to, be, to be fair, not to be too humble, but it is kind of like probably the race that suits me most because I think that it kind of fits better to my character. I'm quite good at recovery day after day and long climbs, altitude. So I don't know if if I had the same competitors on a one day race with um, 15, 20 minutes climb, I, I wouldn't have won it. But it kind of like um, the type of the event, the characteristic of the event played to my strengths. So um, yeah, that, that is probably one of the reasons. Combining various stages together and be able to, yeah. Yeah. To manage yourself during a multi-day stage, multi-day stages. Congrats! So, um, but uh, yeah, we we will go back to the Outroot podcast. But first, I want to understand a little bit more of you. So, let's start from uh, the most important question: How many bags do you have? Yeah, the answer should be n plus one, but uh, <laughs> uh, that's very mathematical <laughs> from you. At the moment, I have, um, I mean, bikes that I actually use is two: one in the UK and one in Italy. But I, I do have other two bikes. Um, one, or actually, they're both in the UK which are my kind of like old bikes that I use. One is my basically my winter bike and the other one is supposed to be my wife's bike, but she doesn't really use it. So it's just in the garage, just covered in. So it, it, we can say it's four. Yeah, four. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which, which bikes are there? So in Italy, I've got a specialized Tarmac, which is the latest one that I bought last year. Uh, it's a SL6, I believe. Um, I really love that bike. Um, I'm I was very very impressed from day one. I I don't know. I think it's um, I've had a few bikes before. I've I've had two Villiers. I know you're from Trieste, so uh, <laughs> yes. Even though they, it's not from Trieste, is it? Because they they are them from Veneto, aren't they? Correct. It's it's not from Trieste. It's from northeast Italy, but the name brings back uh, yeah, the memories of of Trieste. So it is. Viva l'Italia libera e redenta, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Something like that. Yeah. So I used to have the 07, uh, but then I sold it back, I traded it back, and I got the 110R, which is the model that I currently currently use in the UK. I also like that bike a lot, but then when I when I you know, I try the tarmac, I kind of, I mean, I I, I would like to be. Um, pro italian products but i i think that it's it's one step uh forward in terms of stability and uh, compliance and things like that i really i really love that bike also the aesthetics are nice but um it's a very very good bike i think which one is your favorite then i would say the tarmac is uh is my favorite bike and 
another big question disc brakes or rim brakes well uh, that would be a biased answer because i never really tried disc brakes um i had it on um tourism you know those hybrid bikes um probably because of the low quality of the of the overall bike they tend to rub a lot against the the patches of the brakes so i never quite felt at ease going these brakes I've, I've always been a bit afraid that they wouldn't work as as well as the other ones or they would be just a little bit more complicated uh, to use so i never really tried them on a uh, like a high level disc brake so i i've just stuck just stuck with the rim brakes really yeah i was not really expecting this because you told me you're from from the uk so i was expecting yeah uk you know always wet roads always bad weather bad roads and stuff like that i was expecting no i i need to go on this brake because otherwise i cannot ride but i'm happy that, that you answered for for the traditional brakes yeah i mean probably i would probably like to try a very high quality disc brakes like the tarmac with the disc brakes and see how i feel with them but i mean um I'm I'm very happy with the with the rim brakes anyway. Obviously, if you if you've got carbon wheels and it rains, then you are a bit in trouble. But uh, yeah. And how do you do in the UK? Since I mean, wet roads are I won't say the the norm, but almost. So do you use particular tires, wider tires, 28, 32, or use different tires in in Italy and in the UK? How how do you usually behave no not really i i just i ride the victoria corsa ones uh, so, uh with 25 both in the uk and in italy summer winter um yeah i mean i used to uh, ride the um, conti gators gator skin is that the name uh in the winter yeah i think so the, the ones that are like have a turtle yeah, it's, it's impossible to to puncture yeah. stuff like that. I think. But yeah. the, I I tend to I think that the grip is um, is much lower on those ones. So yes, you don't you don't have punctures, but it's a bit more slippery. So I'm pretty happy with the Victoria ones. I mean, you're always gonna have those if you, if you ride fifteen thousand k per year, you're gonna have three or four punctures. So you're just gonna have to cope with it and uh, just be prepared. One thing that I hate is the new um, Mavic UST-ready um, rims, for which it's basically impossible to change the um, the clincher. It because they are, because they are UST compatible, so the tubeless. Um, if you still ride them with the inner tubes, it 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 just became way more complicated to get to to change it because obviously it has to be much more. Um, you know, it, it has to, to be very, 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 very close on the clincher. So I've had a puncture just a couple of months ago, and it took me like 15 minutes to, to change the clincher in the in the wet, and that wasn't that was a good experience. But yeah. So I understand that you also ride clinchers uh, and not tubulars or tubeless. No, I mean you you don't have the luxury of having an assistance car behind you. So. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. Not wife. even in races? Sorry? Not even in races? You switch to tubulars or 
keep changers. No, because that would mean buy another wheel set. And, uh, you know, it's everything is already quite expensive. So I reckon that in order to save that 100 grams um, on the wheels, it's probably not worth spending 2K on it. Um, so I just I just ride my normal wheels. I've got the Mavic Xerium, the Exalit ones for the uphill stages, and they're pretty solid. I quite like them. They do their job. Pretty good. So if clinchers for you are enough to win an outroot, uh, I think it would be probably enough also for myself. <laughs> good, good, good. I'm happy so I won't have to spend extra money on tubulars. Uh, okay, so last question, which is, in my opinion, tells a lot about uh, a person. Who is your cycling idol? Well, this is a very easy question. I think Vincenzo Nibali has to be, I think he's the best rider of our generation. I mean, everybody that doesn't say that, I don't think they understand a lot about cycling. Sorry, I don't know <laughs> what you think about him, but a guy that won four Grand Tours, um, Lombardia and Sanremo, uh, you can't really say uh, that, he, that he's not one. Because even if you, I mean, the other one I will say, okay, Contador, but has Contador ever won a, a monument? No, he didn't. Chris Froome, even yeah. just one month per year. So, yes, they're very good. I'm not saying that they're not incredible, talented and fantastic cyclists, but I think that Vincenzo has got class that Contador had. I perfectly agree. Froome, I'm not too sure that he had, but, yeah, I think, I think Vincenzo is just one step uh, ahead. Um, in terms of classic racers, it used to be Cancellara. So one-day races, uh, Cancellara was uh, my my favorite. And uh, yeah, no, I, I perfectly agree on Nibali. I mean, it's uh, my opinion is a very good choice as the favorite rider uh, for myself. Uh, you know, I'm a little bit biased because I'm half Slovene. so I, I really, really like to follow what is uh, Roglic doing right now. And and Mohorovic. I really like Roglic as well. I mean, he's just a different kind of guy who came from something else, jumped full gas into into cycling, and is doing insane things. And he's got a lot of panache to him. He's uh, he attacks, doesn't give up. He, he's crazy. He just goes down. Well, I, I guess that he's yeah, not that, that's, afraid of that's actually speed. similar to Nibali for for some <laughs> aspects. He's happy to go, even if probably the class of Nibali is a level above the others. Yeah, it's true. Okay, so having understand a little bit who you are, we can switch to the main topic of today, so the Hautrut. So you said you won the 2018 edition, uh, but uh, there are various races in the Hautrut. Uh, which one did you did you win? So the, the, there were seven stages, and um, I don't know if, well, I guess that you know because you're going to do it, so you probably did a bit of research into it, but every stage has got... Um, it tends to have at least one neutralized descent, so they uh, they stop the chrono and then they start it again at the bottom of the descent. So even even a stage, you could have two is as if it was like two small races in one stage. So you could um, you know gain thirty seconds at the top of one climb and gain again or lose at the end of the stage. So 
I I won stage three, four, and five. I think. So you 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 won three out of seven, right? Uh, for sure, two. Uh, I'm not not only two out of seven. Okay. Uh, stage four, I got second, but I still gained on the guy that was basically second and third. So. Mm-hmm. But this was the outroute in the Alps, or yeah. was it the one uh, in the Alps? So the Alps. everything was happening in, in which area? So you start from Mejev, we got one stage, uh, Mejev to Mejev. Um, then the second day we went from Mejev to Valois, which is the city at the bottom of the Col de Galibier. Then stage three was uh, Valois to Les Des Alpes, so you will do the Galibier, uh, Col de Sarenne. Uh, and the last climb of Le Desalp. Then there was one stage from Le Desalp to Rizul uh, with the Col de Lisoar uh, in the middle. Then there was there, there's always a time trial, and that, that last year was um, on the Rizul uh, uphill time trial, which is where, by the way, Nibali, um, well, it didn't got the pink jersey then, but in 2016, that's the stage where Cruisevic crashed and they arrived at the top of Rizul. So it's, it's a nice climb. It's like a 14K climb, quite steady, but um, it's like a, it's basically a 40 minutes up, uphill time trial. So it's, uh... And then the fifth stage was um, a stage with the bonnet in it. The sixth stage, sorry. So the Col de la Bonnet, which is, uh, well, it's the highest call in Europe, even though they, you know that the French made that little extra loop just to get <laughs> so you, we actually we actually didn't get to the top of the Labonette because that's not the pass that's just the French being French yeah yeah uh, apologies to the French listeners but that's the way it is <laughs> so no, but it's it's a love it's a lovely place I mean it's uh, I love France too, so in, I, I was just being a bit silly there but I um, every summer I go to Mejev for one week uh, because I just I think it's one of my favorite places to ride probably, and I also like the French as uh, I'm I'm from Piemonte so I'm a little bit filo um, français. <laughs> yeah, he- uh, hearing from a guy from the UK that he loves French people is particular, <laughs> but uh, we- we'll give it to you. Okay, fine. Um, and yeah, so the the two stages, well, the three stages where I basically gained the most time was where the stages with. Um, so I basically gained, my relative strength was um, at high altitude, really. So my competitors, uh, I felt that I was a bit weaker than them on um, shorter puncher climbs. So like up to 20 minutes, 25 minutes, especially if not at altitude, I, I wasn't the strongest there for sure. But over 2,000 meters, especially if the climb was long, um I, I was a bit better than the others. So the, the, the climbs where I gained the most time were the Galibier, wow. the Isoar, and the Bonnet. So the, the three bigger climbs, basically. Um, so yeah. It was very, it was very um, tough, the competition, because at the end, uh, I won by 2 minutes and 40 seconds. Over how, how much time was in, in overall the race? The ra- I mean, you said it's seven, seven stages, so every stage, if I recall correctly, is about uh, 100, 150 kilometers. Yeah, so... but then, 
some descents are neutralized. So I think it's an average of three to three hours. Uh, no, it's not 150k. That's that's probably only one stage was that long. On average, I think are between 100 and 120. So you would have three to four hours of racing per day. I think in total it was uh, 20 hours of racing. Yeah, for, for the for the first guy that crosses the line. I mean, for myself, it would probably be around 25 or even 30. So. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, nah, no. Within within an hour, there were uh, quite a lot of people. I, I now don't quite remember the exact standings, but I remember that Tristan, which is the guy that got second, was two minutes and 40 seconds uh, away from me. Uh, at the end of uh, the seventh stage, yes. And what's the best memory that uh, you have from the from the race? So was there a point where you felt like you could really win it, or or on the opposite side, was there a moment where you were, I don't know, having uh, you were, you were bonking or you were in so much trouble because I don't know you punctured or you finished food, and you were really thinking of giving up? Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, I, I, I understand. So the, the first one, I think, the, the, the moment where I first uh, kind of realized that I could uh, win was uh, on the stage number three, uh, halfway through the Galibier. Basically, um, there were three other guys that um, in, the, in the time trial, there were four of us within 30 seconds. So there were kind of like four riders that were pretty, pretty even. And two of them were racing together. And um, one of one of those two was uh, in a breakaway, and me and the race leader were kind of uh, chasing him down. And uh, I realized that the race leader wasn't having a very good day, so I attacked, and I got back on the guy in the breakaway, and then I also dropped that guy, and I then ended up winning that stage. So that day was kind of like a bit unexpected. I wasn't really expecting the guy that was first. Uh, to bonk but then i on the other hand i kind of thought okay well then i'm here and uh, it was the third stage so i started thinking that definitely my recovery was going well whereas for the others maybe or at least for uh for liam was uh was not doing as well so i was i i thought okay maybe i can i can win it or at least i can try um and win it Attacking on the Galibier, you said, right? Yeah, attacking on the Galibier, yes. Which, which is also, I mean, a, a mythical climb. So I, yeah. I, I can only imagine how you felt on, on that. Yeah, that, day. That, that day was uh, it was good because then it, we will finish on the Ledes Alp climb. So uh -huh. it felt a little bit like that 1998. Obviously, I, I'm not that stupid to compare myself to, to Pantani, but... You know, just it's just nice to think ah, twenty years ago here, a, a much more important race was uh, was won. Luckily, it wasn't raining for us. It was a very nice sunny day. Did uh, you did you ever find rain during the the race? No. Or was it all in sunny weather? All nice sunny weather. Um, yeah. yeah, that's that's a good thing about France. I think it tends to be less rainy than the Dolomites. And uh, that's also why if I go for a training camp, I, I'd rather go to the French Alps. Because once I went to the Dolomites and I ended up having a lot of rainy days. So I, I don't know, maybe I was just unlucky. But 
yeah. So yeah, it was it was all good. In the, in the difficult moment was um, so two of of those guys were former professional riders, and uh, on, on the sense they were just so much better than the others. Um, so Liam, which is the guy that ended up, I think, being third or fourth, used to race for Madison Genesis in the UK, uh-huh. and he's just an amazing descender. Like he will just drop the other people very, I would say, very easily. I'm not, I'm not a very good descender. I would say I'm, I'm okay. I'm good enough not to get dropped by the majority of the riders, but I'm definitely not a strong descender. And um, him and Tristan, which is the guy that, that was second in the standing, they dropped me on the descent of the Col du Vars. And um, I basically I basically started the bonnet with uh, a minute and a half from them. And uh, there, I think it was the key moment because um, instead of giving up and thinking, okay, they, they are gone, I just kept riding my, I looked at my numbers and that's also why I think a power meter is good. I knew I could do 330, 340 watts for, uh, let's say, just over an hour. Then obviously you have to take into account altitude. So it then became 320, 310, maybe at the top of the of the climb, because obviously you go up to 2,700 meters. And then I, I basically chased them back and I also dropped them during the climb. So then that day was, uh, it turned from being a nearly lost race to pretty much seizing the victory uh, overall. Because then the following day was, uh, the, the last day of the route is always a slightly easier day. So unless you bonk spectacularly, uh, if you're leading at the end of stage six, you have kind of won uh, the race. Amazing. So on... On the on the let's say last important climb, you were chasing them, let's say Dumoulin style, looking down the yeah. the power meter and the computer and maintaining the a steady yeah. pace to to maximize the effort. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and yes, I, I think that in that in that circumstance, the power meter is really key because obviously, if I hadn't had one, I would have been tempted to go too hard too early. Um, which is, by the way, what they did, because because they dropped me, they they just thought, okay, let's just go full gas. And uh, there was a guy that um, a French guy that he wasn't racing, uh, which I was I turned out to become friend with him. That uh, he he was going with a car over the uh, the climb, and he was saying, "Avant ils sont au fond," which means they are uh, they are going full gas, just go your pace because they are gonna they're gonna have to slow down and that is what happened so i just said okay i'm gonna write my numbers i'm gonna be consistent and uh, you know if i if i get them back i get them back if not that's that's the best i can do anyway so i can't really be uh, upset i mean i i couldn't do more than that so I just I love hearing this because to me it means that you want the outroute with by using your brain in fact so knowing your limits knowing what you are capable to do and pushing best uh, of your capabilities and not yeah. getting influenced what by what's happening around you so yeah. big props for for that it's, it's I, I reckon it's not very easy to do once you are under pressure and 
you are yeah, also physically and mentally under under a big burden of, of pressure. Oh, thank you. But I mean, it obviously opens a big question in terms of um, you and the debate with Calamaro. Like, for example, people think that in order to make races more spectacular, you should ban power meters. And that obviously would have made my life much harder in that situation. So power meter was actually a help because, you know, I, I said, OK, I don't have to panic. But then having the power meter made me, allowed me to say, okay, I don't have to panic, but I need to know that I'm going to the maximum I can, I know I can sustain. And without a power meter, you know, it, it would be harder to, to gauge that effort. So uh, if, you, if you look at, for example, how Sky won the tour, you would probably, yeah. could probably argue that, especially at that level, with people that are not only intelligent but they're also trained to do it on a daily basis then that could maybe spoil a little bit the the spectacle for at least for the for the viewers obviously i mean it's it's a big topic it's um i get that people don't like power meters in races um but yeah no i i perfectly agree with with you on this uh so i mean from my point of view in professional racing, since it's also a show and uh, yeah, something um, that that needs to have some media needs to be spectacular. If you put away the power meters, if you put away the HR straps and uh, the radios that the the riders have, it would completely change the race. Because not only in the Tour de France, but also in my opinion in the Giro d'Italia. Yes, uh, Froome won the race on the Colle delle Finestre just because yeah, he yeah. knew how hard can, he can go in the last yeah. few hours of the big attack. Yeah. Then obviously you have to, you have to have the engine to do it, but uh, yes, I agree with you. Okay. So going uh, back to your victory, then um, how do you train for the Hout route, and how did you train last year for for it? How how also do you do you plan your season uh, with with an event like that in in mind? Yeah, so I because I live in the UK, but I don't really race over here. I tend to do my races when I've got holidays. So I basically look at the if you look at the holidays of a, of school in the UK. So I've got the Easter holidays, then I've got one week at the end of May, and then basically halfway half July I'm done. And I can come back and uh, and race. So I basically, I normally start focusing on okay, what is my a goal of the year? And obviously last year it was the auto route. And then I also wanted to do well in the Gran Fondo Fausto Coppi, which was uh, the eighth of July or something like that. So I then basically reverse the cal the calendar from there. And I I normally tend to do um, November December. I get back on the bike and the maximum intensity I do is sweet spot. So I just do um, zone two, zone three, and uh, also long intervals at sweet spot, but I don't do any threshold or high intensity. So I'm not really a big fan of the hit things, especially not, not in the winter at least. Yeah, a base approach during the winter and then you, before the racing season, you ramp up the trainings. Yeah, absolutely. So then uh, in January, I normally start working a little bit more on threshold. 
And then in uh, halfway through February, I normally have a half term week. So I've got one week off school. And that is normally my first serious uh, uh, overload week. So in an overload week, I look at doing over a thousand TSS uh, in that week. And uh, it's normally on like long rides with climbs done at um, just below threshold, maybe with some variation. So you start doing maybe, you know, you, you do a 20 minutes climb, you do three minutes at uh, 95% of your uh, FTP or CP, depending which model you use. And then you do every three minutes, I don't know, 30 seconds above threshold. So that is where I start basically training a little bit more seriously. And then before the event, um, well, it depends. If it is a one-day race, I just do zone five workouts. Let's say the, the last two weeks before the A stage event, I tend to diminish a little bit the volume and do a little bit more of uh, zone five because I think it, it boosts your... Um, you tend to be a little bit more uh, fresh, but also you are used to do like very, very hard efforts. Um, but for the autre route, I kind of went another way because obviously you want to train mimicking the the type of the event. So for the autre route, I did um, up to two, up to 10 days, basically before the start of the event, I did two weeks of massive overload. So I, I, I did like, uh, I don't know, for probably 60 hours of training in two weeks. And then from there, in the last 10 days, I just reduced the volume, keeping the intensity quite high. Um, but obviously, you have to, the fact is that I think that you have to taper from something. So before you taper, you, you need to do a big overload. Um, otherwise, I just think that you, you lose too much. In, you, in order to gain freshness, you risk of losing too much in fitness if you don't do the overload before. I don't know if, uh, if you agree with that. Good. Um, so, uh, perfectly understood. And so you, you said you, you plan based on, on TSS also. Um, is there certain limits that uh, you give yourself as lower boundaries and upward boundaries in terms of TSS? Or do you just, uh, I mean plan it uh, based on a little bit also on feel? I, I tend to go, in those overloading weeks, I tend to go on feel. I tend, I, the, the, the plan is to do two, three days in a row of uh, overload and then one maximum two days of uh, recovery, where recovery might be at two hours, maximum three hours riding zone two. So then you in, in the space of, let's say, if, when I was doing the overload for the other route, I would do three days hard, two days easy, three days hard, two days easy, repeated for uh, three times. So I would have nine key workouts and six sort of like easy days. Um, so yes, I kind of like took it from there. The, in terms of numbers, uh, in that overload week, I was doing over a thousand. I would say a thousand two hundred, a thousand three hundred TSS per week um, on a recovery week uh, in uh, January. I can go as low as uh, four hundred, five hundred. You know, you just spin your legs and 
you don't do much. Uh, it, it, it changes a lot over the over the seasons. A small, really small kicked in from my side. Um, there was a small problem with Zencaster here, and I think that we missed. Actually, I think I was post-producing it, and we missed the question from Simon. It's pretty clear. They were talking about nutrition and what to eat before a race, before a ride, if you have to carb load or not. Then from now on, there's going to be Carlo talking about nutrition and Simon asking him about carbs, about proteins, about how to eat it, what to eat it and how to, to deal with weight and the bicycle. Go on, enjoy it. 150 grams of pasta. I might have maybe a chicken breast and some veggies and uh, some nice piece of fruit. Uh, if the day after I'm planning five hours uh, of polarized training, uh, 80-20, so you know you're going to have to stay 70 plus minutes at threshold, well, you're gonna ha you, you have to eat your carbs. I don't really understand um, people that say that you should be like th this keto diet idea. I don't know. How, I mean, it wouldn't work for me. I would have empty legs. So... So the keto diet, uh, if I recall correctly, is uh, is the diet where you completely skip all the carbs and you are fueled just by by proteins and by and by, by fats. Fat. So yeah, you the idea is that you want to train your body to go on fats, but obviously that only works uh, if you stay in your aerobic zone. Um, so you 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 train your body to be more efficient at, at let's say for me at 280 watts uh, but if i have to go at if i have to go at 380 watts and i haven't eaten any carbs well that's just not gonna work so if i think if, if you want to if the day after you've got a, a big training it's good that you eat carbs you should be having carbs for dinner carbs for breakfast and eat a lot on the bike also because if you don't eat on the bike then you end up binge eating when you're home so um i think nutrition is very important you you should you know pay a lot of attention to it but on the other hand um i don't i, I think that especially because we're not professional you should not become obsessed with it so it's not that if you have um a bar of chocolate one evening that is not going to cost your next race obviously you can't have chocolate every night you know, there has to be a balance. You can't just starve yourself and become like a monarch. Yeah, yeah. So you, you mentioned that at 280 watts, you're still in your aerobic zone. So this is, you weigh something like 66, 67 kilograms, right? Yeah, at the moment, yes. The race weight is 65. So also, if I can ask you, what's your critical power or, or FTP to, to, to have a, 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 an idea? Okay, so the last uh, critical power. So critical power, if uh, the people that do FTP are listening, it's, it's slightly higher than, than your FTP because critical power is not necessarily going to be an hour of length. It's more like half an hour, 40 minutes. Um, but the last test I did uh, over 40 minutes, I did 370 watts. So just uh, <laughs> one climb. That's insane, man. You know, b before the episode, I have I had a little bit of self-esteem 
Now, now that I hear these numbers, I, I, I'm completely, I'm completely off. So I, I guess this weekend I will just unplug the power meter, go on my TT bike, and look at the speed. It also depends on your power meter because there's, uh, like, for example, if I'm on my winter bike and I've got stages, that normally reads 10 to 15 watts less to the quark. So all these numbers, I mean, it's more the consistency, you know, with your power meter than actually the comparison with someone else's bike, because maybe his power meter overestimates or underestimates. Um, but yeah, I, I reckon that I'm, I'm in that in that ballpark. So I would say yeah, that, yeah. So I mean, there might be a five percent uh, maximum plus yeah. or minus, but uh, let's say. Those numbers are huge, man. <laughs> good, good, good. Okay, so yeah, I have to work on my self-esteem again. Oh man, yeah. I was so happy for this interview. Last interval went so well, and now everything is gone. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> New motivation for me. Um, instead, uh, one more thing that I want to ask you regarding uh, diet. Um, and in particular, close to races. Um, the days before the races, what do you do? Do you make a huge carbo load? Uh, do you uh, eat completely normally? Or you change anything? What do you do? Mm, no, I, I, again, I think it depends on... If it is a one-day event, uh, let's say Fausto Coppi Gran Fondo, which is a six-hour uh, ride, um, and that's that's then that's it. You might not want to do more than one day of carbo load. Like one day could be enough. So you just uh, like maybe Friday evening you eat pasta. Saturday you have got fairly. You just skip proteins and fi just don't eat fibers the day before, because then that is just gonna potentially make you, you know, having stomach issues or just uh, swell your stomach and things like that so I, I will just stick to carbs the day before just half pasta rice if you like um, quinoa uh, porridge um, whatever but potatoes but i will stick to carbs. porridge, porridge came since the moment you moved to the uk yeah yeah i, ne I never touched that <laughs> stuff i just that, but i know it's very good actually oatmeals are supposed to be because um, it's also low in the glycemic index, so they they are supposed to be like a slow release of carbohydrates rather than having the glyce the glycemic peak and then uh, and then go down. But yeah, for the auto <laughs> during uh, the race instead during the race uh, bars uh, first half of the event and then gels. Um, also because. I, when you're really pushing, you can't really eat, so you can just uh, drink your uh, calories. Uh, so I will put some... Um, I'm a big fan of syrups, so I will have, instead of having like maltodextrin in my water bottle, I have uh, Amarena syrup. <laughs> so that, that's a good tip I, I will certainly try this one I also like the Amarena stuff so yeah, yeah that's a that's a good very good tip for, for me thank you <laughs> uh, yes and then supplements I don't I don't really do them um, 
I I mean, I like sweets, so maybe after dinner, instead of having a piece of chocolate, I have a nice protein bar. So you, you know, just to substitute a dessert and make it like healthy. Um, so that that's pretty much what I do in terms of uh, supplements. So I stick just to normal foods with the occasional protein ra- uh, protein bar as um, basically a dessert substitution, really. That, that's what it is. But do you also count calories uh, about what you eat or you just go a little bit on, on feel? I mean, if a day you had a big effort, you take a bigger portion of, of pasta or porridge or whatever, or you are very strict and you say, okay, I have a maximum of 3,000 calories to, to eat during the day because I made only an effort of 1,200 calories and, and I want to maintain. No, I get you. I mean, I don't, I don't count them, but in the back of my head, I'm kind of counting them. So I will not go as far as weighing, um, you know, what I eat. Or maybe I weigh what I eat just to know, you know, uh, okay, I want to eat 140 grams of pasta, but then I don't keep track of, uh, ah, that's how much I eat. Then I add that bar. I just kind of go on feel, but you kind of know how, how many calories you have consumed during the day. If you just, you know, read the back of your um, food stuff. So I will say I'm 50-50. I'm not a maniac. But also, I'm not kind of like completely oblivious, um, and so it's kind of like fifty-fifty there. Also, I think that if you if you are too strict on yourself, um, then you risk burnout. So if you if you're never gonna eat that chocolate bar, then there's going to be one day where you're gonna eat five, because you just <laughs> you know that's just binge eating. So I rather yeah, that, that, that's how it happens. Yeah. So I, I rather just say, okay, I had a big day of training. I want that chocolate mousse. I'm just gonna buy it. I mean, it's 300 calories. It's not gonna make me fat. And uh, then your brain is kind of like happy. So he had got his little treat. If you never do it, then one day when you're a bit maybe stressed and say you say, oh, ah, today I'm gonna have five chocolate mousses. And then that's that's not good. <laughs> that's no where you lose it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Perfectly agree. And uh, you uh, also on proteins. Do you count them, or do you just make a mental uh, check that uh, today you had, let's say, I don't know, one. What's your target? If you target uh, like two grams per protein per kilo, one point five, one, or just some. Uh, in in that respect, I'm I'm bad. I will not be able to tell you how many proteins I ate today. I've I've got mm-hmm. no clue. You try to insert them with the protein bar and stuff like that, right? Yeah, but I I I, I truly get that that is a rookie approach. So um, I'm no, I'm I'm not good in uh, in that in that respect. Uh, I probably have got some room for improvement. And I'm definitely influenced by my Italian background. So I, I will say pasta is pretty <laughs> much uh, almost every day I have pasta, either lunch or dinner. Uh, but I don't eat that much meat. Uh, and I do have proteins from uh, fairly fatty things such as ham and the salami and things like that. So 
I mean, I could be a bit better with my diet. But again, I think that there's a balance between mental health and uh, physical health. And if you go too hard on the physical health, the mental health goes down. Perfectly, perfectly agree on this. So even because we are at the end, also you, even you have almost professional uh, level watts, uh, you're, you're still an amateur. And as, as you're telling me, you, you managed to find a, a pretty good balance in the things, which is, in my opinion, crucial for, for also enjoying cycling. So since it's not a job for any of us, it has to be something that gives you pleasure. Yes, because you, you've already got one job that makes you stressed. So if you add another source of stress, then what do you do? You, you, you go mental. Yeah, yeah, it's over. Very good. So I think I learned a lot from, from this conversation. How, how did you train? How did you do? It's very, very nice to hear the experiences that you had, um, the levels you, you managed to reach with, with your passion which is insane. But you also, you also started quite uh, recently, didn't you? Yeah, uh, I also started quite recently. I was doing completely different stuff before. Let's say that um, now it's about um, the fourth or third year that I started cycling with a little bit of methods. Before I was just cycling to, yeah. you know, probably 2,000 kilometers per year just yeah. with a friend to go on a mountain to see that and come back. Yeah. Everyone has its its own cycling story and that's also yeah. the, the beauty of it. Uh, some people can can reach uh, levels like you uh, and, and be super happy with it. Some others can reach professional cycling and feel desperate for a lot of times because they had different expectations. Yeah. So as in, as in the diet, finding the balance with, with what you do and being happy is crucial. Uh, probably for the guy that came second uh, in the outroute, he was not so happy. Probably the guy that came in the last position, he was happier than him because he managed to finish it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. It's also very nice to see uh, what what do you do and how do you tackle cycling. So many thanks for for sharing the experience. Oh, it was a pleasure. Uh, instead for this year's goals. So since now we will be following you and in your results, what do you target? So I'm gonna go head to head against you, Simon, at the Outroot Pyrenees. <laughs> yeah, probably in the bar we can go head to head. Beers. I'm pretty yeah. strong on beers. But, I, but I'm quite happy that we're gonna meet each other, so we can also just you know, really know each other also person to person. And I would, by the way, I would love to come and cycle in your area because I've been to Slovenia a few years ago in the... Slovenia yeah, is insane. I loved it. I was in Lake Bled. So I did the Versic Pass yeah, yeah. from Kranishka Gora. Um, and that's that's exactly the one of the places that we're going uh, this summer for the Holy Week with Calamaro. We'll be exploring the Vršić and uh, and the Mangart and Matajur. Ah, I didn't do the Mangart because that was a summer. It was 2015, and basically I was a little bit in a burnout because back then I was a bit too obsessed with diet, and then in the summer I kind of lost it. But when I was there, I still said, no, I'm going to have to ride here somewhere. So I did a few climbs. It was, it was such, a, such a fantastic place, Slovenia. I really loved it. 
No, manga personally for for me is in the top three of my favorite clans. I, I just love it. It's a what is 12, 14 kilometers climb. Uh, uh, yeah, something uh, almost stable at nine, ten percent, and you come at the top and you see the whole valley below. Uh, <laughs> I have to go. I, have to I go really back want there to go to the whole week now. Just to put some more because uh, I only went once in that in that direction. The other times I was uh, more in the bled area, so I will do climbs just uh, like a few kilometers. Uh, I would say east from the mangal uh, that you're saying. But I really loved it. I think that after Mejev was probably the place that. Just it was a surprise because I wasn't expecting it to be so up, so spectacular. It was just perfect. Not a lot of people, new roads, good tarmac as well. The uh, yeah. the Isonzo Valley. I don't know how to say that in Slo- in Slovenian. It's the Socha Valley, Socha. but Isonzo is is pretty fine. It was amazing. We did the rafting there. You can drink the water of the river. It was I just loved it. Loved every single second of that holiday. Just never make the mistake to make a few wrong turns and find yourself going up the Zonkolan. Because that uh, that no, no, was no. a pretty bad experience. I mean, if I do, you have to tell me which uh, gears. Uh, I've got thirty six thirty. Do you think it's enough? Uh, with your wattage, probably yes, but uh, you'll be going 65 RPM. Yeah, it's borderline, I know. It's <laughs> yeah, no, it's... That's an insane climb. Yeah. Just, okay, but that, that's a different story. <laughs> so, this year we will see you on, on the outroute in the Pyrenees. Yes, I'll do Pyrenees and Alps, so two in a row. I don't really know how it's going to go, especially at the Alps. I reckon that I would be a bit knackered um but basically the auto route um, had got for the people that has already have already done the auto route once you can buy this infinity pass so with basically a little bit less than the money that one auto route cost you can ride as many as route as you want for one year so i got that one and um, then i'm gonna do two the pyrenees and the alps so uh, basically, one is uh, well for free. You still have to pay the accommodation, so it's not for free. But you don't pay the actual, um, you know, fee for the for the race, which is pretty cool because uh, it is very expensive. So, um, so best of luck for 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 take, bringing home also also this year out route. Uh, so, and I, I will certainly meet you in Spain. Is it? Pyrenees. Uh, I think it's still still France. France, Spain, yeah, France, Spain. Yeah, France, Spain. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, I think we are probably crossing into Spain a couple of days, but I'm not. I'm not too sure. I think it's mostly in France anyway. <laughs> we will see. So my logistics is still a little bit behind in regarding the outro. I, I will have to figure it out very soon. I'm gonna have to study uh, Pyrenees. Great. Many thanks for, yeah. for sharing your experience. Uh, it's been, no, it's been a pleasure. It was very good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, thank you, Simon. Best luck for, for the outro. Ciao, ciao. Thank you. You too. Ciao, ciao. So great and enjoyable episode. What do you think, people? I think it was great. I really loved, actually, the lightness oh, that they used to talk about one of the toughest bicycle races for amateur cyclists in the world. 
obviously it's all about competition all these people are really mad with numbers and bicycles with numbers and weight of the bicycle and nutrition and weird i didn't understand they were talking about critical power ftp whatever i really not familiar with the thing but i'm familiar with cycling and i want to make a small comment people don't go out there never anymore saying that Froomey, chris Froome, is not a talented cyclist first of all he really fought super hard to get where it is he won four tour de france he got three grand tours in a row he helped really really deeply helped Bradley Wiggins winning a Tour de France where he was for sure the strongest one uphill he made magic things on top of the Zoncolan and on top of the Colle delle Finestre do we have to add something he won a couple of gold medals at the Olympics world titles whatever so don't say it anymore. I can understand that you really like this kind of, I don't know, um, pomposity talking about Italian riders and whatever. But please stop saying this thing. And he's an Italian guy who is saying this thing. Anyways, I know that they were teasing me and they were teasing me for the all, all the biggest part of the episode. Anyways, I hope that you enjoyed it and my, my only, um, let's say, critic feedback, like the one that I wanted to listen from you, just write down at hello at calamaro.cc, that's my email, calamaro.cc on Instagram, calamaro.cc on Facebook, read calamaro on Twitter, Spreaker, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, out there is this podcast living. And you have to click the button and share with all your friends. Carlo, you have to do it as well, because I believe that your comments there were pretty enjoyable and everybody must listen on a guy that won the whole truth in the Alps. People, I will leave you here and I want, ah no, maybe I want to say another thing that is pretty, pretty important. At the beginning of this episode, there was the, a small part, a small reference to Icarus. It is the documentary of Brian Fogel on the old truth. I really love it, and I really love actually the journalistic part that it took over. Actually, it was a great, great, great chronicle on what happened out there in Russia. But I believe that for me, it was pretty, pretty interesting also the first part. So, Brian, I would say, why don't you go on and make a documentary out of the old truth, following the rider, riding yourself, and see what's going on out there. I would enjoy it super, super, very, very much. And maybe tomorrow, a thing that I can do, I would love to come out there and ask you to be part of my podcast. I have seen that you have been in Lance Armstrong podcast, for example. Why don't you come here? People, if you want this to happen, write me or write Brian better. Write Brian Fogel. And then we can have it here on my microphone or on Simon microphone. Well, I will talk to you next week, people and all throat people out there. Why don't you open your door and let Brian make a video documentary about you or myself interviewing you as i asked already well talk to you next week people bye